Welcome to the Real Top Podcast, where we meet with real top entrepreneurs from around the globe to discuss what motivates them, who inspired them, and so much more. Here's your host, Nick Zucalis. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode number two of the Real Top Podcast. Um, we are here in Boston, Massachusetts. We're going to interview someone that I admire quite a bit, um, a gentleman by the name of Mario Papathanasiu. And I know I said that right, I got that perfect. And uh, I'm gonna take you through a brief intro of who Mario is, and then we're gonna have a blast. Mario, thank you for, uh, for joining us here. Nikitas, thank you for having me. It's such okay. a pleasure to talk with you today. We're pumped. So guys, Mario, uh, give you a quick intro. It's pr pretty amazing. He's had a pretty awesome run. From behind the booth to the front of the boardroom, Sonic Branding, his company, Sonic Branding Strategist and DJ Mario Papathanasiu is a selector of choice for the world's most elite clientele. More than a decade ago, Mario started off DJing events in Boston, Los Angeles, and has performed at hundreds of events for brands such as Armani, Hugo Boss, Vogue Magazine, Cisco Systems, Warner Brothers, a &E Television Network, and has performed with artists such as Bruno Mars, Imagine Dragons, Train, and Lenny Kravitz. Now, Mario, a native of Boston, is a graduate of Emerson College where he majored in communications and radio. He spent four years as an on-air radio host at WERS 88.9 FM, the number one rated college radio station in the country. And by the way, I listen in pretty religiously to that, just an FYI. Nice. Um, five years ago, Mario started taking his selection skills into a number of different business verticals. He's programmed background music for such clients as the Langham Hotel, the Fairmont Hotel, Saloniki Restaurants, and dozens of other top businesses. Um, additional projects in Sonic Branding include runway music for Saks Fifth Avenue, Donna Karen, and Burberry, and scoring a fireworks presentation for a VMware at VMworld in San Francisco. Mario, what's up, man? What's up, man? Yeah. We have a little bit of a cozier atmosphere than Starbucks right now, but this oh. is, you know, that's our usual place to chat, but this is fantastic. I'm so excited. I think the next podcast, we should, we should just do it standing up in the parking lot of podcasts with masks on, just hanging out outside and just do it. Just It'd be a little <laughs> bit of a muffled audio, but yeah, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> So Mario, tell us, um, you know, we're going to throw a couple of quick hot questions here. Tell us All something right. interesting about yourself. Most people don't know about you. I, I always assume people know about me, um, but I feel like if you see the last name, you see Papathanasiu, you say, wow, that's Greek, obviously, but I'm actually half Greek and half Polish, um, first generation. And my mom is from Poland and my dad was from Greece. So random fact about me. Random fact. What? what keeps you up at night my kids my kids <laughs> literally keep me up at night they're they're god bless them they're four and five and we're past the time of like waking up every you know few hours to to get to them but in a larger sense my kids keep me up just thinking about their future and things that i know i do now will help them in the future so yeah i i honestly i, I really do sleep pretty well i there's not too many things that bother me you but yeah, no, my kids, my you don't kids have circles under your eyes like me, so you're doing good. <laughs> what um, what motivates or inspires you? Um, seeing talent like fresh, real, unabridged talent, um, that really motivates me uh, in a way that's not 
competitive. Um, I get inspired from so many different things. So I love the feeling I get when I hear somebody sing a beautiful piece of music, when I read something that an author has written, that's a fantastic way to connect with my brain. Um, just people in general who have talent and are doing things with it really inspire me in my own life. What is a quote that you live by? Um, my dad actually said this to me. Um, don't wait for tomorrow to do what you can do today. Don't wait for everything to be perfect. Use all the skills and tools that you have right now at your disposal to do what you want to do. Um, take action. Um, and there's, it's kind of like loosely quoting him, but the, the gist of it is that many times, uh, myself included, I say that I can't do whatever it is because I don't have the right tools. And in my world, it might mean a particular piece of production or waiting for that technology that I've been wanting to get. Um, and the truth of the matter is that you can come overcome many deficiencies that you have in resources with just a little extra hard work. Um, so that's kind of been my mantra and quote that I think about all the time. It's the reason why I named my company Every Second Counts. In, in, which holds true that. for all the work that I do. Um, but it's, it's really important because um, taking action is the most part, most important part about action itself and, and being successful as an entrepreneur, just making that decision. Obviously it has to be a thoughtful intellectual decision and with consideration of many things, but not to wait to use what you have now and get it done. is kind of like how I live my life. There's this, um, there are a couple of quotes that I want to piggyback off of what you just said. And one of them was uh, something along the lines of like, don't get in, don't let perfection get in the way of progress, like get started. And, yep. and there's, there's so much truth to that. And I'll tell you, even from starting this podcast, if you look at episode number one, I mean, it's a bloodbath and I'm sure someone, <laughs> you know, at episode 200, looking back at this, they're going to be like, Hey, what's up with your window and in the background and the lighting and the guy dancing on an Island behind you. So whatever, you know, we just, <laughs> we're just going for it, man. Well, I'm Mario. I'm curious. And I love that quote. And by the way, I love the name of your company. That's that I've always known you as just Mario. So just like your branding is, is, is awesome what are you up to these days? Like what's, what's going on in, uh, you know, January 15th, 2021, what are you up to? Um, well, you know, there's always music in my mind. There's always things that I'm working on. Um, my business every second counts, um, was largely and um, predominantly about events. And since March 13th of 2020, um, there's been restrictions in place because of COVID where that can't happen. Um, so, uh, beyond having my company, Every Second Counts, I am the music director of a restaurant group in Boston. Um, we have seven properties, uh, restaurants mostly, and then there's a dance club in there too. So uh, uh, pre-COVID, I was there a lot in terms of performing uh, at the space and making sure that everything was kind of in line, um, overseeing some music there, but mostly being hands-on with the performance aspect of it, um, managing other DJs who perform there. Uh, I've been really lucky and blessed that through the COVID you know, restrictions and shutdown that um, this restaurant group really put a priori uh, priority on, uh, they always do, on their service and quality of product, but music is really important to them. Um, so I was able to work you know, from May through December when we moved back to 
this is so confusing. Phase two, step two, where you can only have a certain amount of people in, in, the, in the restaurant. Uh, so I've been not there so much uh, at all uh, since December. Um, so my mind is now uh, refocusing on kind of how to pivot again and, and include what I'm doing and thinking about and making, making uh, creating action to ideas that I've had over the last year or two years. Mario, what's going on? Like, you know, you said there's, you said eight properties or nine properties. I forget. Um, how the many of those, group. yeah. How many of those are fully, fully open right now? Are they all open? They're, they're all open, but open with restrictions. Um, you know, when we first shut down in March, um, I think it was from March and until, until May where no restaurants were open in Boston, right? Uh, and then they opened with guidelines and restrictions, a certain amount of capacity. Um, there were rules in place on how to, if you're in the service industry, service your, your customers and your clients. And I remember uh, it was Cinco de Mayo when uh, our owner contacted me and said, hey, we're going to do a little something, a de food demonstration outside of one of our, our spots. Um, can you do music for it? I said, I've been waiting two months for you to ask me this. Yes, I'll be there. So, um, you know, from that point on, I haven't been in my whole life ever more proud of an organization on how they handle things. So you get all these, you get this playbook from the, the government, from our governor and from the city, there's mandates and things that you have to follow. But to have an actionable plan and see how it materializes is, you know, different for every organization and every business. And our group in particular does an outstanding job in terms of how they handle it. Um, and it's almost like a regiment, an army regiment that every single time they do it the same way where a, a group of customers come in, um, they sanitize the work, the, the um, tables, um, they, they sit, there's all these restrictions about wearing masks and what you can do sitting down and then standing up. But the fact that, and this was in the middle of the summer, that, you know, 100 degree days, all the, you know, from the busboys to the servers, to the bartenders, to the management, to myself included, we're in this kind of, you know, army of like doing things to the best of our ability every single time. And um, that's what they've been doing. And, you know, through the course of the pandemic, there's restrictions on how much that they, how many people they can let into the space. Um, and I never knew how hard that was to achieve um, on a consistent basis. Uh, and to know, I, you know, I didn't know who was doing that. And to be honest with you, I haven't been out too many times to other establishments since the lockdown. Um, but I have been and going to other places, I know not everybody does it the way that um, our group does it. So I'm super proud of our team. And even with restrictions, um, they do a great job. That's, um, that's pretty phenomenal. And you know what, your attitude is pretty phenomenal. I mean, considering what's been happening the last few months in the industry that you're in, you know, you're, you're in the restaurant business that, you know, or, or you're, you're, your company services the restaurant industry that's that seems to be a main focus and considering the major hit that the restaurant industry has taken you're just so darn optimistic and and it's, it's it's pretty awesome man so you've got such a great attitude what do you think is let's talk a little bit more i mean we know where you are today but you know aside from the restaurant group you know seeing that you have to pivot what is it what does a pivot look like? Is it a short-term pivot? Are you getting more time? You know, you know, I know for myself, you know, you know, sitting in my cube here, I'm becoming a lot more resourceful and coming up with creative ideas because it just seems to be where my brain's going. 
What does that look like for you, the, the pivot? The pivot for me right now is technically like my space. Uh, I have my ESC headquarters that I established um, in 2019, at the end of 2019. Um, and then right around that same time that I had this space and finished building it out and putting all this furniture in, um, I got the job as a music director. So I focused a lot of my energy on that. And then since the pandemic, and then now, you know, moving back in terms of the phase where I can't really even be in the in the locations anymore performing, I'm pivoting again and kind of refocusing my energy here at home base for me. Um, there have been a number of clients pre-pandemic and throughout the pandemic soliciting ways to um, make their businesses better and sound better. Um, and that's kind of what I do. Um, so for me, I started playing music a long time ago uh, while I was in high school. You know, my fake ID brought me into a lot of the clubs in Boston and I was inspired by so many DJs, trips to Greece. My um, fake ID I'm, brought me into clubs that you were DJing at, just for the yeah. record. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, so, you know, I have influences that run, you know, really kind of like embedded into, into my soul. Um, and I realized at a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to be that person that controlled the vibe in the room. And I've always had an eclectic taste in music across the board in many different genres. Um, and it wasn't until I went to Emerson, studied communications and, you know, school is a lot about learning, but it's also about the people that you meet. Emerson in particular, as great as it was academically, it's not like, it's not, it's focus. It's really the focus is about working and collaborating. And that's what I honed for four years. Uh, and I met a great group of people who turn out now to be famous actors and producers and directors and musicians and all these people across, you know, the country and in the oh, world the that I've kept in contact. Yeah, it's the network, but it's how you work with these people. So, you know, uh, going through a little bit of my history, I moved to Los Angeles right after college and I lived there for three years. And I worked for Warner Brothers and I saw this scale and this level of these things that I was reading and studying in my textbook in a billion dollar company, multi-billion dollar company. And I saw really how good ideas come to fruition. So, you know, after I left Los Angeles, moved back to Boston, I had the opportunity to get a job as a music director of a hotel in Boston. And we opened up a pretty amazing lounge. And that was the first time in my life where I took all my book smarts and that, things. By the way? That was the Langham Hotel. Uh, Langham Hotel. Bond, Bond was the name of the, the space. Um, and it was the first time that I could use all of those resources and tools that I had and put it together. My powers of observation and things that I learned uh, you know, in, in school in Emerson studying communications, my love for music, my ability to perform and weave hours and hours of music together this massive library that I've amassed through my years of DJing but also through my network of Emerson alumni we share a lot of music so there were things that I had in my repertoire that I really couldn't play in a club but that restaurant setting is really where I learned that people are sitting there and enjoying themselves uh, and I would be involved with the communications aspect of it as well um, I would help create these radio commercials that were all over Boston, these transit spots that we did, these billboards. Um, I helped to create all those things, literally designing and writing all the copy. Um, and it was, it was such an enlightening moment for me working there. I was there uh, as the music director for a little over three years that 
I believed in myself more and I've always believed in myself, uh, but knowing that I could do this on a different level that, you know, for me, I never had a superlative DJ name. It's always been Mario, Mario the DJ. And I want that mark of me being a skilled professional, creative professional, but I also want to enhance the business that I'm working for. A, it's kind of like a no brainer. If they don't do well, I don't do well. You know, with marketing, what you're doing, a lot of businesses, especially during these times, it's the first thing that they cut. So how do I make myself indispensable? Um, and it's just been working hard and, and expanding my knowledge of A, my creative process, but also being involved with the other facets of the business. Um, so after I left the Langham, I started ESC and I did the music directing thing. How, kind long, of how long ago was that, Mario? That was in 2012. 2012. I have a question so, for you and actually yeah. kind of a comment. And I've always been intrigued by DJs because I was always into music. I love dancing. I was the guy in the room that would show up at the club. And when all the girls were dancing by themselves, I was the only one with the courage to go up and dance with them. And it worked out pretty well for me. Now, my man. Yeah, you know, let's 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 do this, you know. Uh, but you know, I was at a corporate event not not that long ago, and you were the DJ. And one thing I recall, you know, this this was a um, you know, I won't name names, but this was a room full of attorneys, a lot of stiffs. You know, these are attorneys, a lot of suits, a lot of starch in their shirt. They're you know, <laughs> they weren't ready to like moonwalk in that place. And then I noticed as the night progresses, the drinks were pouring as everyone was networking. The music started changing, the vibe started changing. And I noticed you were able to get these working stiffs, which everyone's got a soul, everyone's got inside of them. You were able to get them to start partying. Like it turned into a party. It turned into what could have easily been like, you're 22 years old, you're at a lounge, and it's just before 2 a.m. in Boston. And it's like, this is the, this is, we got five minutes left. Let's party like it's the last night of our lives, right? And my, my kudos to you for doing that. I had a lot of fun. But my question is, you know, when you're going into an event like that and you've got 500 of these professionals, how much of what you're doing is pre-planned and how much of what you're doing is is you know reading the room reading the vibe and adjusting adjusting the music the volume the beat to that group and kind of bringing them to because i felt like you were bringing them to that point and they didn't even know it almost like hypnosis um yeah what's your mix like how does that how does that happen how does it get planned and and then executed it's the easiest analogy i could do is like if i'm a painter i bring my palette i bring all my colors and i i paint there I don't make that painting ahead of time and then walk into the room and say, here, here's what I created. I, I have years of experience in terms of building libraries of music. So I mean, technology helps me a, a tremendous amount before it was me carrying crates of records, like these 3000 records that are sitting next to me that I have to oh, put on yeah. the shelves. Uh, but technology now allows me to do that digitally and has been like that for a long time. Since 2006, I've been on a, been on a system called Serato. So I can organize and I can be super specific, like in terms of genre and making things. Um, but I realized at that point that that was actually too complicated for me, for me to go into a room and have all these, you know, 50 folders of house music or 50 folders of hip hop and, you know, all these things. I, I 
program more now where because I play so many events in different rooms that I look through all those genre specific folders and I'll make a folder for that event. And I might subdivide it into two categories, early and late. And in the early section, I don't put slow music. I put music that I don't think are super hits where people are gonna go crazy to because I don't want that to happen. Uh, I, I don't want it to be where, you know, I you don't want it to fizzle people, out early. I don't want it to fizzle out early. I was going to see, use the analogy, blow my loader. Like, <laughs> it's a kid's show. We don't want to do that. No, but I don't, I, I want to progress. You know, it, there, you want people to feel comfortable. I know what I'm there for. I'm there to make that room better. Right. So again, for like, you know, clients that I have in the hospitality business, I always say that, hey, if you control the quality of product in terms of your food and your drink and your service, and I accompany that, that I can make it better. So to your question of how I progress the night, I know when people first walk in, not everybody is super motivated to you know, start networking. A lot of times it's a work function. People don't really wanna be there, or if they are there, they might need to have a drink or two to get loose enough where they can contribute to the vibe. So I make it easy for them. It's, you know, loungy, it's fun, it's it's cool. And I use my powers of observation to see the people in the room and try different things. You get reactions from people. It's kind of like fishing. You see what works and what doesn't work. Uh, but, you know, it's it's all about time. So as the night progresses, I, I always think about it also the analogy about landing a plane. And I tell all my clients, like, I want to know the exact end time because, I don't wanna just end it. I wanna land the plane in a way where it's super comfortable. So I want to create moments. So in the early part of the night, I might be playing things like funk and soul and things you may not have ever heard or different versions of songs that you may know. But towards the end of the night, when I want people on the dance floor, it's it's bangers, it's hits. It's like really like big sounds. Um, the scope of the music can change into like more energy the beats per minute increase. Um, and, you know, after doing this for so long, you realize that those and uh, the specific songs are kind of tools in your arsenal to create these moments. Uh, and that's what it really it's about. It's, you know, those moments when people are singing, you look at the demographic and you see the age group of the people and you say, oh, I know they know this song or I think they know this song and you try it out and they know it. And then, you know, for me, the mixes happen faster. Transitions might happen technically 30 seconds or 60 seconds, a different song, a different moment. So you're getting all these feelings and then you watch and you see that people's energy change and it increases. Mario, I want to, um, I want to jump in the DeLorean for a second with you. Nice. Right. And, uh, knowing we come from a similar background, you know, same, same church, same, you know, almost the same block. Um, I want to jump in the DeLorean and go back there for a little bit. And I want to go far back too. you know, we could easily right. jump into our twenties, but I want to go back to kind of like when the light bulb, uh, when the light bulb w- w- went off for you or went on for you in, you know, in what, at, at one, at what point did you not only find the, the love for, for your craft and for music, but also, uh, and this is two questions, actually, you know, you know, uh, accompanying that, when did you decide to turn it into your, your profession and not only just a profession, but an entrepreneurial journey. So let's actually stick with question number one, jumping into the DeLorean, going back, when did this 
I'm going to call it an obsession because you got to be obsessed to take something like what you're doing Definitely. to this level and to see it through um, is impressive. So let's start. Let's start at the beginning. What's tell me about your journey. I remember a specific moment. I was 16 years old in a dance club in Boston, listening to a really amazing local DJ uh, put What's two songs together. It was Club Europa. It was DJ Manolo. It Whoa, was a, man! It was a Wednesday international night. Of course, because why do you have to go to work on a Thursday? Right. <laughs> and I heard him mix what some euro house song which was what he played house music um with a like a breakbeat kind of song from a movie called um electric boogaloo breaking breaking to electric boogaloo uh the song was like a george uh Kant song called dindada and i've known that song because i watched the movie in the 80s when i was growing up and it's kind of hip-hop-ish but it blew my mind that he was putting those two songs together in a dance club where it was always kind of just like dance music and whatever's new. He was phenomenal. And the fact that he took the past and melded it with the present blew my mind. And really, I, I remember how it sounds. I remember the vibe of the room. And because that thought got into my head and I had all these creative thoughts, um, I said, wow, that's amazing. That's kind of what I want to do. Um, and Did you already have I, equipment at that point? Where you I already did not. I, I did not, that kind of leads me to the, the second part of your question in terms of entrepreneur and how do I, how did I scale, bring that to a business? Um, the entrepreneurial spirit is in my DNA. Um, my family owned uh, and operated a gas station repair shop for over 30 years. And that's really where I grew up. Uh, I spent my summer vacations there. I practiced for the SATs there. I applied for college there. Like, I did all my learning and everything else, but I also had to kind of pull my weight and help my family because not like, uh, unlike other people that I knew and, and uh, other friends that I had in school, we didn't have generations here of, of you know, maybe wealth or opportunities. Um, both my parents came without knowing too much English, both came, um, you know, without, a great amount of education. My mom came when she was a little bit younger. So she did go to high school here. My dad didn't, he had very little education, but he was the smartest man that I ever knew. And the way he handled himself in business, um, A, for the technical aspect of what he did, he was an artist and that really inspired me. He had a craftsmanship that inspired me. Uh, and when I realized that music is something that I loved and wanted to do, I applied all those things, the hard work, dedication, sacrifice, and uh, technical knowledge that you needed to have. And I applied that to what I was doing. And I found that I got really good results, um, you know, from playing high school proms and baptisms and graduation parties when I was first starting out. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I had a bunch of friends who loved going to loved going out as well. And they helped me with the uh, production part of it, they would be carrying speakers and records and all that sort of stuff with me. Um, and I realized that's something that I love to do. Um, so I took that kind of knowledge that I had as an entrepreneur and a small business owner, and I in, in, you know, included into what I was doing and I found good results and I just kind of progressed and continued with it. What was your, uh, what was your first paid gig and at what age and how much? 
All right. So again, going back to like, did I have equipment or not? So when I realized I wanted to DJ, I wanted to get equipment and I loved records and I loved turntables, but to have a rec enough records to DJ a whole night was super expensive. I would not be able to do that. So this is, this is in the mid nineties. I graduated high school in 96 and uh, my last two years of high school, I had been going to the clubs. I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I told my parents, I said, this is what I want. And it's something that needed resources. I needed to have these tools to accomplish my goal. And, you know, very much like a Greek dad would, he said, you know, you can have whatever you want. You just have to work for it. So I had a particular goal in mind. I had a number where I needed to get to, to go get that equipment. And I got, you know, probably 60% of the way there in terms of saving money. It took me a little over a year to do it. And then my dad bankrolled me for the rest of it. And he said, you know, you can pay me back whenever you start making money. Of course, he never took any of that money. <laughs> he just wanted me to start working for it. You know, it, it wasn't going to be like the drum set that sat in my basement. Um, and very early on, I got a gig DJing a graduation party, like right after high school, because that was my demographic of, you know, all my friends were graduating high school and, you know, I kind of rolled with that. And uh, when I went into college, the other people that I knew who were younger than me were, you know, class presidents or you know, members of organizations in their high school. So I would DJ those parties. And then, of course, the infamous Goya dances, which are like, you know, the youth group of the Greek Orthodox Church. I went on a circuit. I would do every single town and city, you know, with whatever driving distance I could, you know, from Rhode Island to Worcester to all these towns, you know, in the greater Boston area, I would do all of those parties and dances. Uh, and I built a little bit of a following and that following kind of moved with me when I started getting hired at clubs. Um, I, I, I was at Emerson College in and this is it, just for our listeners, guys, this is the 90s. This is pre Instagram. This is pre YouTube. This is no social media. I don't assume you were running TV commercials, right? Like, no, no. This is this was marketing in, in its truest sense where you didn't have all these. You weren't able to amplify your message um, like, like you can today so easily and so inexpensively. And you did it by by focusing on your product and your network and it, and it goes to show and look how far you've come. So it's um, just something to think about for some of you younger listeners that, you know, Oh, I don't know where I'm going to get my next client. Uh, there was a time before an ad, there was a time before a TikTok post, like in, in, in Mara is a testament to that. And that's, that's pretty remarkable, man. I, I, yeah, was I, I, I always feel and, and think about this way. My next client is in the room listening to me right now. Um, I've always approached how I play in that way, even if it's for something that seemed like, oh, this is just a small reception. It doesn't matter. I really go hard every single time I play. And it's been a long time. I've been doing this for a while. And that's kind of how I know I'm doing what I love and what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, that can change tomorrow with the, the plight of the world right now. But as long as I'm still have my hands on my uh, on my own success. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. I kind of operate that way. Um, and my career and, and progressing to this and where I am now is an evolution of me playing that first gig, that high school party, because I got my next gig from people who were there. Um, and then when I built up those skills, I was in school, I was at Emerson, I got on the radio and I was around all these other DJs and I was able to 
kind of hone my skills a little bit more and learn from everybody that I was around. Um, and being on the radio, people in Boston heard me. So these club promoters were like, hey, we heard you on the radio. Do you want to play in our clubs? And I got my first break at a club in Boston in 1997. Um, and from that point on, I've really been DJing pretty much, you know, at least weekly, three, four times a week since that time. There have been moments in my time in my life where I've, you know, alleviated that because of business reasons of me focusing on ESC and not being out in the club so much, getting married and starting a family that kind of, you know, derailed me from being in the clubs. Um, but being in a club allowed me to have access to more clients, more people heard me. And as I was playing these bigger and nicer places, I realized that my skills were getting better. Um, and it, I also realized that that was the farm system for my, my other clients. So the, these people that were out there partying on one night in Boston, hanging out, there might've been a couple who was getting married and they would say, hey, do you do weddings? I say, I absolutely DJ weddings. Um, and it was a farm system for me to have my, my event business kind of- Talk uh, about, uh, talk about like forward. an ultimate free trial. Like they get to experience what you're all about for free and you get hundreds of these people in the room. You know, I have this, right. um, I have this theory. I think businesses, I actually think the world would be better off without advertising. And even though I'm in the marketing space and this is what I do day to day, I think it would be an interesting experience. One day the government turned around and said, Hey, there's no such thing as ads allowed for one week, no commercials, no radio, no Facebook, no Google, no, nothing. And the reason I say that is imagine how good businesses will become. Imagine how good a business has to be knowing that they're only as good as the last client that they help, the last client they service, the experience they're bringing to the table, and knowing that that has to equate to the next client. Like your clients need to give birth to your next clients only. And I think the world would be a, I mean, this is total theory. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's the right thing. I'm probably cannibalizing my, myself, but um, I think the world would be better off. You know, you see a picture of that old craftsman in Italy in an alley that makes the best shoes ever. He doesn't have a sign on the door. He's only as good as the last pair of shoes that he sends out the door. And hopefully someone sees those and says, wow, those are great. Where did you get them? And it's interesting with what you do. It's a similar thing. You don't need to run ads. And it's something that I want to just remind our listeners, you know, if you're a young entrepreneur, don't, you know, you got to market yourself. You got to put yourself out there. There's no question about that. But I think people forget that the most important thing you could do in your marketing is actually deliver a product that is so damn good. And, and I actually believe it's more important than the full, than, than, than the customer service journey. So if you can deliver a product that is so damn good, look at you, look at Apple. Apple is the worst freaking customer service on earth, but the product is so damn good that, you know, you're going back for more. And that seems to be, you know, I'm putting you up there with Apple, by the way. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, you just put me in the same sentence with Apple. I'm good. Mar <laughs> Mario and uh, Steve Jobs here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Steve Jobs wasn't available for no, this podcast. To, to your to your point, that's actually really the only way that I've progressed through my my career is is by being really attentive to my clients' needs. Um, 
so you brought the point this, you know, when I started in the early part of my career, it's before all of this technology, which you can utilize your skill and you can amplify to the world. Um, my skill was being able to be consistent and to be available. Consistency and availability are the, the key components to my business where every single time I play, I go 110% and being available for my clients. Um, for me, it's the business owner. He doesn't care, you know, before didn't care if I had ads out or what my following was. He wanted the people or the, he or she wanted the people in the room to feel something and have a good time. And I was able to do that on a consistent basis. And then you always have in many aspects of business, people that come to you with an emergency, hey, can you do this for me? And most of the time I find ways to either service them myself or bring on colleagues and people that I work with to be able to service them. But I usually never just pass people off. I always try to have my hands on something because if I know the client, I know what they like and I know what they're looking for. I might, you know, prompt my colleague or somebody else that I know that's going to handle that act, the execution of, you know, delivering the music. I, you know, work with them on, you know, creating whatever music playlist that they're, that I think that that client might want. Um, and that sort of consistency and availability snowballs. And it, it really is a testament to getting to know your, yourself and what you can do. Um, I had a professor at Emerson that always told me, and he's the guy that actually came up with so many like slogans that we know and love today, like um, choosy moms, choose Jif and don't squeeze the charm. And he's the guy that made that stuff in one of my advertising classes. But he was always tells, never tell a client that you can do something that you can't do. He's like, but don't be afraid to tell a client that you can do something that you haven't done. And he said, a lot of times in this world, He's, he would tell the class that many great things have happened when someone takes a leap. It's, it's the basic philosophy of, you know, believe in yourself and bet on yourself, where if I have never done that as a paying job to do, I don't know what, whatever the client's asking me for, but I know I can do it. Don't be afraid to tell that client, hey, I can do that for you. And then take the risk, bet on yourself and try to do it. Obviously, there's room for failure in that. But failure in, in my world and in, in a lot of business world is only a way for you to learn. So I don't look at failure. I mean, there's catastrophic failures, don't get me wrong, but you know, you hear a lot of entrepreneurs talking about it, like this ratio of like failure and success that you always want to be working on things like different companies have, you know, maybe a third of what you try might may fail, but that's great because maybe one in three will work, you know, like focusing 70% on your of your energy on things that are you know you know you're going to be able to be successful on 20% on things that might be in your wheelhouse but it's a different component of how you're doing things like for me it's like a different vertical it's like you know programming music for a mall or when i did a scored a fireworks presentation like i had never done that my client asked me i was performing in san francisco for a really large tech company probably like 15,000 people at this party. And they said, the end of the party is going to have a fireworks presentation. And I was like, do you have music for that? And they said, no. I was like, oh, they're like, can you score a fireworks presentation? I said, sure. And I'd never done that. So I did the research. I was like, how long is it going to be? And I created a score and I finished my, my show. And then, you know, in at t Stadium in, in San Francisco, 
where wow. you know there was thousands and thousands of people this firework presentation goes off and it's m the music that i created and i started with this crazy orchestral piece that went into whatever big pop song there was that time and then like kept them uh you know the music going and to my teacher's credit that that seed was planted in my brain and, and kind of never left me you know like don't be afraid to do or try something that you know you can do or have faith that you can do even if you haven't done it before have actually technically been been paid for he's like don't lie on your resume but if you think you can do something do it because they'll push yourself mario um talking about being in at&t state stadium fifteen thousand people i've never experienced anything like that what is what is my my assumption is that the feeling is 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 a high and and if it is a high is you know or or, or is it is there a certain high when you went out on stage and you had a thousand people dancing to your beat like what, what was that feeling like it's amazing it, it feels good because um you know for me when i perform i'm like a prism so i'll i'll kind of spread that white light into a beautiful rainbow and the more light that i receive the, the brighter the colors get um, so when I see people and get that energy, my energy increases. Um, I could be here for hours playing for myself and no audience and I'll still have a great time. But it's so much more fulfilling to me when I can motivate and see that, you know, people enjoy themselves and enjoying moments that I create or put on that song. They'll help them remember a time in their life where they felt something and they remember that feeling. Um, you know, there's been, I've been lucky enough to have some really great clients. And again, this is a pre-COVID world where I would travel around the country to play these corporate events. Um, one of which was a fantastic event that I did in Las Vegas at Vegas Motor Speedway. The client is a huge tech client. Uh, it was about 30,000 people. I was opening for Bruno Mars. 30,000 so people. 30,000 people. Were Vegas you shaking? Were you nervous? Like what happens? Honestly, I don't really, I don't want to say it to sound like that. I don't really get nervous just because the only, I'll actually, I do I'm nervous just talking to you. Never mind oh. 30,000 people. I do get nervous. You know why? Because I, I don't get nervous for myself and my abilities. I get nervous for the equipment. And that particular day in Vegas in July, it was 115 degrees outside. Um, I had turntables and a mixer and my laptop. And at sound check, my laptop failed. I don't know if you've ever had your laptop give you that, that, that flashing light says overheating and it just shuts off. Oh my God. So at, in sound check, um, that happened. So we were at a, a basically in, in uh, Vegas Motor Speedway. Is and not to cut of, you off, but my next question was going to be like, tell us about one of your entrepreneurial nightmares. So maybe we can throw this in the mix yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so we're in the middle of the desert basically as Vegas is, but this is uh, probably like 20 miles off the strip. Uh, it's north of the, uh, of the strip. So all the guests had to come by buses. So there were hundreds of buses with hundreds of people that just descended on this place for this uh, event. And I'm watching all these buses roll up and knowing that my equipment had just failed. So, um, that's where it's like you're working with a team of people and it's that's why it's always about the team it's always about the people that you work with bring it all together so there was i'm like okay i have to cool this stuff down how am i going to cool this stuff down and still perform so i run into the kitchen 
And I was saying, I was asking the chef, I said, hey, is there anything that I could do to cool these things down? Do you have anything that I could put like buckets of ice in a fan? He's like, well, we have these diamond plated boxes that we fill with ice and we actually have them in the freezer frozen that we do our, our dessert displays on. So we'll put that box out there and then put the desserts on top of the box. Oh I'm like, God. I'll take three of those. <laughs> so I took three of those, put the turntables and my laptop on it. And it allowed Stop me it. enough time to get the music going. And I also realized that you have to have, you know, this is just like little tips of the trade. You have to have a backup. You have to have something just in case that equipment fails that's in a different source that you can just put. So I had an iPod there with one of my mixes just in case. And I was able to switch back and forth to that, stick them. They got me a refrigerator, stick my laptop in the refrigerator for half an hour, get it to cool off, pop it back open. I performed for six hours back and forth, just like that, where I was able to segue, put on a mix on. And it was seamless because the crowd didn't even know what was going on. And honestly, they're not there for me. And that's what I realized a long time ago. Like, I love what I do and I think I'm great at what I do, but I'm more about making other brands shine just having me execute how I am able to execute at whatever ability I am able to execute at and having a brand shine that those people were there for their conference and they had been in, you know, in meetings for a week and this was their end of their, you know, meeting where they get to have this huge party, but they were also there for Bruno Mars. Like they're not there to see me, but I'm there to make that room feel good for him to come out and, you know, the, the room's already primed and it's almost like a fluffer, you know, you, you want people to be ready to go. I have to do that for them. <laughs> that isn't, that is an unbelievable story that 30,000 people are, you know, they're, 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 they're rolling up in buses, hundreds of people, and you've got your laptop in a refrigerator. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's what makes me afraid, right? That's, those are things that I don't have control over. So that's what I get nervous about. And even while that was going on, I, I was like, well, you know, I could probably technically get through that with playing one of my mixes, but it would, it would have crushed me because that was like such a big gig for me. And I'm like, I want to perform for that. Like I, I want to be able to do that. Um, and I have, I have a little piece of video that I took at the end of the night um, where they said, okay, it's over. You got to stop playing music. And there was like thousands of people that left the Bruno Mars concert and were walking back to their buses, like tens of thousands of people. And I'm still jamming. And they're like, you have to shut down the music. So I shut it down. And there was like 3000 people in front of me singing the kind of the last song that I was playing. Like, oh, 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 oh. And they were like, one more song, one more song. And I'm wow. like, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I just rocked the mix the whole time. You know, so that I always, I, I never pre-plan, I guess going back to your other questions, I, I always like to do it live, do any of the mixes because it's, it's, a, a, it's more real. Like, I feel like people can feel it. They can, they can sniff you out. They'll know that it's not real. You know, I'm not a like, button pusher. I'm kind of like the person that does it in live and in, in color. A lot, a lot of guys will go through some sort of entrepreneurial journey and they think the measurement of their success is always going to be something you can kind of like calculate on a spreadsheet. And I get it. You got to make a living for sure. But there's something about, you know, the, the satisfied client, the, the feedback that you're getting from people that you're making happy and you're giving real value to. And that's what you're doing. You're creating this value, which is entertainment. You're letting people get away from their problems for a couple of hours. And, and it's a very special thing. 
And um, it, it, it's just amazing, Mar. And that's a big reason why I wanted to get you on the show today. I really uh, admire people that can take their art and turn it into a business. And you are, um, you're, you're a rare breed because not everyone can do that. I know a lot of people that love playing an instrument or they love singing or they love doing something artistic, but they don't know how to monetize it or quite simply, they don't have the guts to turn that into a career. And they always kind of put it off to the wayside and, and they focus on some boring job. And, and to be quite honest, they're kind of miserable because they prioritize what they can calculate on, a, on, on an Excel spreadsheet as a, as a paycheck over what makes them happy. And life is truly short. Now, I'm curious, you know, you know it, it's a weird time and let's call it an anomaly, God willing, right? But what is the, what does the future hold what does the future hold for your company and for you? Well, um, things that I had been thinking about pre-pandemic were, you know, we were talking about this before we got on, you know, a lot of my clients want to include podcasting and um, ways to speak to their customers and clients um, through recorded mediums, either a video or audio podcasts. So uh, I created my space to be conducive for that sort of collaborative work. Um, and right now, because of restrictions, that's not gonna happen. So I am optimistic that, you know, once the 60% of the population gets vaccinated and we can get back kind of to what was before um, our, our COVID shutdown, that I'll be able to articulate that and make that happen in my space, in my studio space. Um, you know, for me, it's for the last, 10 years, it's a, I've always thought about making what I do bigger than myself. Um, I've, I know for a fact that when I perform and, and produce, I, I, I'm able to do it at a really high level, but that all goes away if I, you know, one day I can't work and I have a family and I want to be able to provide for them. So I'm thinking about scaling and how can I do that? So that's what I'm kind of working on right now is finding ways that I could deliver content, curated content um, to people across the world. Um, and I've done that for many clients, you know, throughout the years in many different ways. And technology now allows me to do that in a really great way. We utilize um, kind of radio software where you're programmed for a radio station, but it becomes kind of like a concentrated radio station for um, any particular client. It could be a really high-end clothing store. It could be a chain of um, fast casual restaurants, um, but being able to hand select and program music. Um, and right now I'm trying to utilize that technology and deliver that content in a way that's more than what you can find on a Spotify or an Apple music, because I have a lot of clients that, uh, you know, love to be able to articulate their brand through music but to do it in a cost-effective way. So that's what I'm working on. I'm technically working on how do I expand my curating and hand-selected music to, uh, you know, to, to, to scale it vertically, to, to be able to bring it to more people. And I'm running to roadblocks. It's not really easy right now because my, my benefit and what I'm really good at is the hand selection. I call our team like human algorithms. We're the opposite of Spotify. Um, you know, a lot of businesses that use this, even if it's a, a, a company that does it professionally curating music, there's not people in a room selecting songs. It's a system where it's like thumbs up, thumbs down, and there's an algorithm that's going to choose your next song. 
and many of the clients that I speak to and have interviewed and, and tried to uh, build as a resource, uh, the knowledge of what they're looking for, say that, you know, maybe five out of 10 songs, 50% of the songs aren't what we're looking for. So to execute that in the right way, you really have to be hands-on. So I'm trying to figure out how to give that hand-selected music to them that's cost-effective because that's ours. It's, you know, if you're talking about a business that's open seven days a week that has 15 hours of operation, how do you do that? How do you program that music? So there's things that we've learned over the last you know, couple years where we're trying to deliver that hand-selected music, but in a way that's cost-effective for the client and for myself, we're able to do it. So um, I'm, I'm not Spotify, I'm not Apple Music, I'm not Pandora, and my services aren't for everybody. So I can't scale that to the masses. I'm, I, I'm learning now how to scale that to a particular set of clientele. That's what I'm working on. Not... People get big eyes in business and not everyone has to be Walmart and, and, uh, and Target and, and, and Amazon. You know, not everything, not everyone has to go wide. You don't always have to cast a wide net, but you can go kind of deeper on your relationships. You can, um, you can have a better offering and you can change how you deliver it. And I'm excited for you. You know, we talked this was pre-pandemic and you were telling me about this and, 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 and your vision for the future. And I remember we just hanging out at Starbucks and you're telling me about this. And now my mind was blown. I was like, whoa. And you were, you're way ahead of all this. And it's, uh, you know, kudos, kudos to you for, for, for thinking in this way and for, for having this open mind. And, and you didn't, you didn't think like this, because you had to, you, you actually thought of this way before um, any of this started, which is, which is pretty damn cool. You know, I, I'm going to make a prediction um, and, and I'm a, I'm a history buff. And in my prediction is that we're going to have a roaring, you know, 2022 end of 2021. I, you know, if you look at history, you know, post, post-Spanish flu, the roaring 20s were the roaring 20s for a reason. Stock market did great and people forget about the parties that happened post-Spanish flu, the amount of entertainment that people wanted. And I think- They legalized alcohol because of it. (laughs) Hopefully that doesn't happen again. (laughs) If so, we're starting a speakeasy in your studio, just for the record. Uh, But I think we're going to have this, and, and, and I hope we can have this this great coming together again, because, you know, similar, similar to church, you know, you stay home and you say a prayer, but it's something about praying with a hundred people. And it's the same thing um, with entertainment. It's the same thing in sharing in the senses. You know, if you have a hundred people listening to music together versus one person in headphones on, there is a different, there's a different vibe to them. It's the same thing with breaking bread. Um, it's blessed. It really is. There's some, there's something to it. So I'm really looking forward to parting with you um, ASAP. Um, and Mario, I want you to tell our listeners, how can they find you? How can they find your services? Where can they get to you, man? I have a website. It's escaudio.com. ESC for every second counts audio, what we do. Um, and that's on, that's my website. So I have a bunch of links to Mixcloud cloud pages with, uh, my mixes and then, uh, solicitations for services. There's, um, a form there. 
Uh, and then on Instagram, social media is Mario the DJ. Twitter, Mario the DJ, and Instagram, it's Mario the DJ. Um, and um, you know, again, talking to you, who's a social media guy, these are things that I could uh, improve on and do better. Um, and you know, that's kind of been what I've been thinking about for my future in terms of having a team to help me with stuff like that because I have content and I, I have um, ideas, and I want to be able to share that more with the world. And you know. Um, expand kind of my reach and what I want to do. So uh, if anybody wants to chat, if anybody has questions, if there's young entrepreneurs who are, you know, thinking about things in terms of business, if it's related specifically to DJing and music, I'm there as a resource. I'm there um, because there's been so many people along the way that have helped me and continually, continuously help me um, just by having conversations and, and being able to do what they do inspires me. So I'm more than willing to, to be able to communicate um, and be part of a resource uh, network for, for other folks. You're the man, brother. Thanks so much. You're the man. man. I, lo I love talking to you, man. I could just talk to you all day. This podcast could go for 10 hours if they let for us, sure, you know? For sure. For sure. We'll have a part two. We'll have a part two. Awesome. Brother. All right, man. I'll see you guys later. And uh, thanks for uh, listening in. See you guys. Nikita's. thanks for having me, man. Later, brother.